and welcome to another episode of Media Literate, a collaborative podcast where we stan. Hell yeah. Yeah. Just like we, in general. We stan. Be Just lots of things. Mm-hmm. Mid-century French nerds. Especially um, those. Fruits and vegetables. I really, I stan, I stan my fruits and vegetables. As you should. <laughs> Am I using that? <laughs> feel like I'm losing, using that right. Uh, uh, wow. Okay, boomer. Whatever. Do you know the the etymology <laughs> of the word "stan"? Uh, it's isn't it the Eminem song? Okay, stan. so like yes, but uh-huh. also there's the side story to "stanning," uh, which might not actually be related, but is my favorite. Like Eminem early two thousands trivia is that Mariah Carey's song "Obsessed" is actually mm-hmm. about. Eminem standing her way too hard <laughs> so apparently he was going around and just being like oh yeah no like Mariah Carey and I are like we were, we were totally like she she loves me uh I think he claimed they were dating he did like all this stuff so she made a song and in the music video she is like in drag as Eminem interesting stalking interesting. her so she's playing Herself. herself and also Eminem stalking her it's great um man there's uh she has a couple lines dissing him like you're a mom and pop I'm a corporation <laughs> sorry I was gonna say it in a normal rhythm but then I like I heard her voice in my head and I had that Mariah Carey I really <laughs> feel like we should be supporting mom and pop stores so like you know she says but, I'm um, a press you conference know, you're a conversation you know conversations are I get really important I really think that conversations are great um so celebrities right uh, yeah they I, also <laughs> stand each other sometimes sometimes they stand each other um okay so I'm Laura Broman Oh, right. I'm Kim Henry, a fan <laughs> of the Mariah Carey song, Obsessed. Yes, thank you. Uh, and As we should <laughs> today, all be. We're, uh, we're going to be joined by our dear, dear friend, Anne, queen of the archive, who is going to uh, hop out a little the library about... for a second. She's just going to like... <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, this time it's something entirely different. We're going to be talking about, uh, if you couldn't figure it out, celebrity culture. Uh, the sort of just be telling us about a, a form of the star system in China. We're going to be talking about how celebrities uh, function in politics uh, in both China and the United States. It's going to be a lot of fun. But first, we have some uh, good old media literate housekeeping to get through. Uh, first, if you like the show, uh, or have any feelings about it whatsoever, uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. Give us five uh, stars and then trash us in the comments. Like, if you don't like it, that's that, fine. Still, that sounds the most fun for everybody. Give us five stars. Um, yes, thank you. you can also, I think, follow us on Spotify or something. And we also uh, have an Instagram that is, I think, fire because Julia Rose Camus. Uh, <laughs> is a brilliant person and she runs it and she's you're really keeping up with these boomer comments i believe (laughs) that our instagram is fire and also we stand fruits and vegetables (laughs) brush your teeth kids back in my day um you can follow us at media literate podcasts and uh you will not have to hear any of my dumb internet takes because somebody else's smart internet takes are there i think uh (laughs) But yeah, so that was that was that. Uh, And of course, we now need to turn before anything else to 
the old classic, our returning segment, Cannon Fodder. Woo! I would say that um, <laughs> Cannon Fodder is uh, about to enter the canon of podcasting uh, wow. as a genre. So we didn't do the air horns, that level. I feel weird about that. But no, like, no, 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 no. It it's okay. Like... Sometimes we okay. can let them, the air horns are more fun when you save them for special occasions. It's kind of like a vibrator. Should we make a different sound effect? Like if you Ooh. use a vibrator all the time, then like. You get used to the vibrator. Yeah. Not every dick can go at like however many like reps per minute, man. That's um, <laughs> air horns are like vibrators. That's my stance. Anyways, this so week. So what did I was you watch one. this week? <laughs> Uh, it's it's funny because it's truly 9 a.m. right now, and this is where my <laughs> mind decided to go. <laughs> uh, no, in keeping with our theme of celebrity this week, I decided to watch uh, one of the the rom com canon classics, which mm. is um, I don't know if it is a movie that is is good or high quality, but it was a movie that I was mm. embarrassed to have not seen. And it's called Notting yes. Hill. And now I think mm. I might be a little bit embarrassed to have seen it, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Okay. So Notting Hill, basic plot breakdown. Um, Hugh Grant is doing his uh, most Hugh Granty uh, mm-hmm. thing. He's adorable. He stammers and stutters and pauses a lot. Uh, and he owns a bookstore a small local bookstore, a mom and pop, as it were. Uh, he is the Eminem in this movie, yes. Hugh Grant is the Eminem of Notting Hill, yes. Where uh, <laughs> one day, uh, Julia Roberts walks in and she's basically playing Julia Roberts, but in this mm-hmm. movie, her name is called, I think it's like Anna Scott or something. And she is a massive celebrity movie star. And she walks into his bookstore and for seemingly no reason whatsoever, except she has a disarming smile and his eyes are droopy in like the cutest way possible. <laughs> they strike up some sort of romance. Um, and it's about how their love does or does not work because of celebrity. And for some reason, not so about how their love. To this theme. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's not about how their love doesn't work because they have zero chemistry whatsoever. <laughs> they are really like Julia Roberts is a a shell of a human in this. She <laughs> has no personality that you can discern. Uh, very mm-hmm. little backstory yep. except something delivered in like the, one of the weirder scenes of friends hanging out on film that I've ever seen, <laughs> which is there is. There, uh, Hugh Grant brings her to his sister's birthday and mm-hmm. um, they're all just sitting around a table being like, we're all a bunch of sorry suckers, aren't we? Look, there's a movie star in our midst and look how terrible we are at life. So they go around and the <laughs> person who has the worst life, they explain how their life is terrible. And the one who has their oh, worst yeah, life- Oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> in, what a fun dinner conversation. Yeah, they get the last brownie. <laughs> And oh, that's well, you know, at least they get the last brownie. That's nice. Y- yeah, except that you watch like all these, like also 
middle-class white people just being like I'm mm-hmm. real sad like uh, I have a good <laughs> job but like no one loves me and like oh a lot of people love me but I'm just stalled out and I don't know what I'm doing I mean and that then- is the ethos of like all of that guy's movies low-key right because he also did oh yeah it, it involved in production in some way of Bridget Jones and uh four weddings, four weddings. And a funeral. okay so yeah. the, this I I'm gonna get stuck on this movie uh this scene I'm going to explain it and then move on to a much more uh, organized <laughs> breakdown. But there is a woman in this movie who is in a wheelchair because she has gotten into an accident. And at this dinner where they're all just chilling, it's someone's birthday. Anna Scott, an A-list celebrity is here to like just hang out with them for the day. And she's like, well, I my life is really sad because... You know, we just found out we can't have children because of the accident. <laughs> and it's like, uh, oh, Jesus. I don't want to like, look, man, that's really rough <laughs> and it's your house and everything, but maybe this isn't the moment to talk about it. <laughs> and she straight up just like really brings the mood down. And then Julia Roberts shows up and it's like, well, but what about me? I'm also sad. It's like the woman is paralyzed from the waist down and can't have kids. You are a millionaire. Read the room, Julia. Come on. Like, you know, I I'm uh uh I had to get surgery to look like this. I had basically an eating disorder, and also uh I'm not a very good actress, and someday people are going to realize and shove me aside. And everyone's like, ah, no, no, no. It's still a it's still somebody else. Someone else gets the bratty. But you know, we're sad for you, Julia. Um so the good, the bad, and the recommendation. <laughs> positive things about this movie there are few there are some really good (laughs) moments this movie is very much in the same vein as four weddings and a funeral it's very much uh like this guy the writer whose name i can't remember right now but i think it's like richard something um Mm -hmm. he we really do our research on this show don't we we did but it took us five (laughs) times to record this intro. Don't tell them that. I'm sorry. I just want you to know that I did once know this man's name and it's totally reasonable <laughs> that I don't now. Um, no, he, it's very much in the same vein. And there are some really lovely moments of the, specifically this friend group and how they mm. sort of interact with the concept of love. And at the end, they sort of like drive around trying to find Anna Scott. And it, that's like the most lively moment of the movie, which is definitely mm-hmm. my favorite. Um, another really positive thing about this movie and what this screenwriter does is he does this in Four Weddings and a Funeral too. I think he has like a, a preoccupation of some sort and I'm happy for him with like putting, like making sure to have representation of people with disabilities in his Mm. movies so in four weddings and a funeral there's the um there's like a deaf kid who's in the wedding parties throughout um and in this one there's a woman who's uh in a wheelchair because she's paralyzed from the waist down and this is like i i don't know enough about disability advocacy uh to like really say whether or not this is like excellent but it feels much better than a lot of disabled representation on film Mm -hmm. because like the best moment in this movie for me is when they're like all getting in the car together to like chase after Anna Scott because Hugh Grant just realized like he made a absolutely stupid decision when she was like I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her which is less corny in the movie than it sounds out of context but it's still very corny 
Um, so they're all like running into this car to get together and go find her. And the guy who's driving the car, he's like, oh, where's my wife, the woman who is in a wheelchair? And they're like, oh yeah, she said she'd stay behind. And he's like, I don't think so. You get in the back. And he like he he like rearranges the car. He makes somebody sit in the trunk and he picks her up. And he's like, Yeah, you're coming with us. This is about love, and I love you. And you're and it's like Aww. that is the moment that I think is the most important, where it's like so often representation is kind of like, Oh, we put this person here for you. And mm-hmm. then when something happens that wouldn't work out with especially with disabled representation, like this person's disability might make it more difficult for them to engage mm-hmm. in like whatever activity. This movie doesn't just forget about her. It they're not mm-hmm. like she's here on screen and then we had to go do something else that she can't do because she's in a wheelchair. Like they make space for her in the car. And it's really lovely. Yeah. And it's similar to what he does in Four Weddings and a Funeral, where this kid is deaf, but like there he has a love story where the woman has to like, she sees him and she's like, he's cute, and then learns mm-hmm. sign language. Um, so that's all great. The rest of the movie, I'm not going to get into how much, like, what's bad about it, because it's just kind of boring. It's not lively. It doesn't have the same spark as Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, It's just, it feels very much like a kind of shallow imitation, which is bad. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even Hugh Grant being like, I think perhaps I may, in (laughs) fact, uh, love you like his his like I'm gonna put in a thousand extra words and pauses before I say I love you because this is how I speak um and everyone speaks like that but it doesn't even have the same like crackling like witty dialogue feeling it's just slow so I would say Mm -hmm. the recommendation is yes watch Notting Hill do it while you're doing something else like it's (laughs) sit down and watch for wedding Yeah, sit down and watch Four Weddings and a Funeral. And then if you're still like, I like Hugh Grant's droopy face, just cute Mm -hmm. little like, why does he keep pausing? I don't know. Go Mm -hmm. with that. Um, (laughs) Like, just put it on, make a pie. It's autumn. Mm -hmm. Find some like, yeah, yeah, do some autumnal shit with with Notting Hill on in the background and enjoy your life. That sounds lovely. Yeah. Wow. It's medium. I mentioned last week because I watched Roman Holiday uh, as like that was like kind of the OG Notting Hill and Mm -hmm. it's funny I just want to clarify that Roman Holiday is really good and (laughs) watch Roman Holiday instead of Notting Hill maybe it's it's the same premise but she's a princess instead of a celebrity and they have like well now I feel like I have to defend Notting Hill because I'm like well no 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 watch the movie it's fine and it's good there's some some good moments um, I feel like I want I want to see you watch Bridget I want to hear Bridget Jones thoughts now completing the like oh my god uh, we have to move on to the like uh cannon plotters because it's October mm-hmm. when we're recording this but um I'll save Bridget Jones for uh February when it's yeah like, a little Valentine's very bleak uh, and sad in the yes. world um I'll just yes. be like what you need is some, some romance some good old post-feminism and a hot Hugh Grant because those hot. are the two main things about that movie Yeah, that seems about right. That's all you need. Mm -hmm. And welcome back. We are now here with Anne, uh, our resident queen of the archive, whom you all remember. Uh, We're here to 
talk about something a little different this time around. Uh, we're going to talk about the idea of celebrity. Yeah. What does it mean? What does it do in our lives? What does like, it mean to us? I feel like Indeed. celebrity counts as a media, right? Definitely. Like well, it's I a think- mode of communication of values and information, right? There wouldn't be celebrity without mass media. So Mm, that's, mm -hmm. I feel like that's a, yeah, it's, it's relevant. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, (laughs) We're justifying this episode. What, um, what are some celebrities? Like what's your like most shameless celebrity obsession? As uncool as a question. (laughs) What's like your, your strongest parasocial relationship? I don't think, I mean, I I've kind of passed the age of obsessing over celebrities. Okay, oh, <laughs> I'm older than you. That's the thing. I know, Ouch. but I my my deepest uh, uh, fascination was probably in middle school and high school. But now, mm-hmm. I think I feel like it's not really one celebrity. I'm too obsessed with Critical Role, mm-hmm. which is a Twitch show uh, of, a, of a group of people, voice actors playing D and D. I'm a little mm-hmm. too obsessed, and I yeah, yes. Critical Role. That's it. I love how you started this with saying like, oh, back in middle school and high school, I was very obsessed with something and you just like jettisoned that to the past. That's, (laughs) we're not covering it apparently. Um, Yeah, well, um, there were, there were many obsessions, let's say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was um, always very into the, the like Marvel men. I was mm -hmm. like far too invested. I think there was a, a picture of Chris Evans on um tumblr like mm-hmm. i remember the specific one mm-hmm. he's sitting on a stool and he's wearing a steely gray sweater oh. and his um his like sleeves are pushed up to the forearms wow. and he has a beard and i was like oh this this is the picture that did it to me <laughs> somehow somehow yeah it's picturable i don't know why but i yeah. can picture it but there's also like- different ways of relating, right? Because mm-hmm. that was, I was obsessed with him on like a visual attraction level, mm-hmm. uh-huh. but swinging like back now I get into like celebrity gossip mags. Oh my God. I, so like fun, <laughs> fun backstory fact. I used to write for a digital media publication that was like very, very clickbait and like tabloid, uh, uh-huh. tabloid adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I, uh, you know, I was just like, I was, I was between things. <laughs> it was a weird This time. is your redemption arc. This it's is my, fine. yeah. So it was, uh, but yeah, no. So I was constantly, constantly writing about like celebrity gossip stuff. Like, so are Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston getting back together? And it's like, no, they never are. But like, I remember finding these, um, like these weird forums where like, there'd be like, they'd be dissecting every single picture that came up in a tabloid being like, no, they are getting back together. Like she was on this one street in, in Beverly Hills and he was on this other street in Beverly Hills. So like, obviously, and like, they would like comb through like Angelina Jolie's, uh, like her, her, her whole life and be like that. Like it, they hated her obviously, but like find reasons for like, clearly she is like super mean to Brad and he's just been desperate to get out of this marriage for years and get back to Jen. But the thing is, that's all ridiculous. Uh-huh. But when a similar thing happened and uh, uh, Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck got back uh-huh. together, 
I was so <laughs> genuinely happy. It was such an exciting moment. Like the it picture. Felt like, like, yeah, like oh. all of it is just like, I was, I don't even like either of them that much, but I felt, it turned out that I felt very strongly that they, like, they just got out of, like, each gotten out of relationships and, like, they found each other again. And it's mm-hmm. time, it's finally time. We got to make Gili 2 because oh Gili is the movie that broke them up. And this will be the movie that gets them back together. Yeah. And it's That's... just, <laughs> wow. That I can see the obsession him. here. Yeah. <laughs> There's a picture of her leaving his house in LA. Mm-hmm. She is just fucking glowing. <laughs> she looks, she has the most satisfied smile on her face. Her skin is like beautiful right. all the right. time, as it just as beautiful as it was in 2002. Yeah. In I the, mean, that might be the like $4,000 of skincare products that like, that, of, like I, the line that she owns, but it's also <laughs> just coming off of like, Ben really, really stick. good <clears throat> sex with like the man who she's should have been with for the past yes. 20 years and then he's in the doorway caught like cast in shadow <laughs> just he looks like she <laughs> took his soul okay she <laughs> and, like, you Batman. guys need to take it down a notch but, like, okay i'm sorry but no, five, five minutes a picture is worth a thousand words and so here we are these are um, the words yeah so this is this is what celebrity does to us we know intellectually that it's ridiculous and some of some people like Anne, may have <laughs> left that in their yeah, she's too mature their for us now. Or their adolescences <laughs> but for those of us with uh more more issues i guess we <laughs> we hold on to these things and that's sort of you know that effect is kind of what we want to explore today so i just think it's interesting to talk about the different types of celebrity that we've already seen kind of teased out here like there's sort of the very like tabloid centric uh stars like brad pitt jennifer aniston ben affleck mm-hmm. and j-lo and then there's like on the other end of the spectrum there's uh critical role who are like you know internet internet famous yeah um, they're really not celebrities they're obviously. not really celebrities but they have an intense following within the like niche that Anne and i both very uh, yeah. both like and you know they have lots of kind of like internet content that is yes. like yes. supplemental but they're not you know it's not quite there's kind of a spectrum here you know yeah Exactly. Um, but yeah. I'm trying to think of where to, I'm sorry, I don't know where to like try to turn this into a question. <laughs> but no. like, I guess like, there's also, you know, the idol cultures in, in Asia in general, that's another mm-hmm. type of celebrity. Why don't that's... you tell us what that is? Because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the definition of celebrity. There's really mm-hmm. no definition for idol. But when I say idol, I will say, that's you know some girls group or a boys group that came out of like usually came out of a intense competition that mm. you know has like, like a it, competition show or like yeah. a fight to the death okay competition show like you know like a, that involves voting and then like cer- certain like criterias and then trainings and then different rounds of eliminations mm. those like competitions that they kind of rise to the top and then get debuted uh, as a group kind of like that so that's what I say idol when I'm referring mm. to and mm. also you know idols in general have a you know more controlled their life is more controlled by the company they're signing Mm -hmm. their time to basically they have a lot of restrictions unlike you know actors or just like internet celebrities they Mm. they actually have like you know 
they have to sometimes they produce like music videos and like they have to go on tours or they have to attend other like you know reality tv shows they have a lot of responsibility Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. they're managed they're They're managed they're very much managed Mm -hmm. and that's kind of when i say idol and it's very much and kind of pan asia phenomenon at this point mm-hmm. so um but yeah that's it's interesting sort of, to... go ahead <laughs> it sort of reminds me i'm gonna it sort of reminds me of like the classical hollywood star system a little bit where you know like you like as a starlet you're like discovered by cecil b de mill or somebody and they <laughs> sign and he signs you to whatever studio he True. was like and you just kind of uh, have you know you make movie after movie for them and you have they manufacture an image for you and they like you know I think that they like got they had people get married like as a I don't know if that's a thing that happens with like the like idol uh the idol wait they got people married like or like you know they other? do they do like do they do you know like like you two are gonna be dating oh now. yeah you know the the screen a celebrity image like a screen couple image like mm-hmm. some of them okay. yeah that I makes mean sense. that does sort of happen in roller derby also uh Lady Trample <laughs> really? came over from Victoria I think she was in Victoria City yeah she played for like an Australian team and married Scald Eagle from the Seattle team and like moved to Seattle to be with Scald Eagle and but then she couldn't go to the Montreal uh playoffs in the last like the last roller derby world championship because of COVID which is very mm. sad sorry this is a this these are my celebrities this is incredible but I no, could have I, I actually this. saw them and was like I could have I could have reached out and touched Scald Eagle, but Lady Trample wasn't there because she couldn't get back into the country because uh, Donald Trump was being a real dick about visas. <laughs> it's so interesting to just hear like th- there is like that that niche like um, kind of happens just like in all these different corners. I love when you were talking about the Marvel uh, the Marvel celebrities. Like it reminded me of like one of the most common YouTube videos that pops up in my suggestions is is like a like like uh tom holland and benedict cumberbatch being adorable quirky boys for For three minutes straight (laughs) yeah (laughs) and like and it's but like you also see that with like the most niche stuff and i've seen that for critical role like um they'll say like the cast of critical role being chaotic stupid for five minutes and 27 seconds and like for me i'm like oh yes i will click on that and that'll be the content that keeps uh, the dark thoughts from entering into my mind as yep. I'm making breakfast this morning. You know, that'll be, that'll be what I, uh, <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. Um, but you were talking so about star system. Celebrity has <laughs> many uses. <laughs> yes. But I think that the, this kind of phenomenon of the, the idol in, in East Asia is, that's what it is? Yeah. It's a Pan-Asia, Pan-Asia phenomenon yeah. at this, pan, at this um, point. So, but it yeah. seems really interesting. I'm in my own life. I, though the thing that I'm thinking about is, my own obsession, <laughs> light obsession uh, with, <laughs> with One Direction. And I like, yeah. I had, you know, I like have watched the X Factor this season that they uh, like that they were on. And I like only watched the parts with them in it. And, you know, like they had definitely a super manufactured image where it's like, mm-hmm. they're all best friends, very, very heterosexual best friends. And important to note, very heterosexual. They just, they're super, the lads, they all love each other. (laughs) And like, you know, one of them's like the cute one, one of them's the funny one, one of them's the smart one. And like, 
you know, they have this, so it's, I think they kind of like, clearly like they just weren't very good at maintaining that. They hated like dancing. They hated, uh, they just like clearly didn't like it very much looking back, but there was this attempt to kind of very much manufacture an image around them. Is it kind of like that? It's definitely similar. I would say it's even more intense, honestly, Mm. for the idol culture in Asia in general, because, you know, this is a big industry that earns a shit ton of amount of money. Mm. Like it's it's one of the, you know, post-socialist slash neoliberal kind of <laughs> production mo- models that just like the fan base is crazy. They will genuinely pay a lot of money to either see their show or either help them vote or just mm. in order to see these, um, you know, young boys or young girls. So for a quick primer on neoliberalism, watch charlotte's snack episode <laughs> and yeah just a little plug for that that was stupid okay i'm done i'm back no I'm back you had it. a great that was like npr voice quality like <laughs> great. whatever Thank happened you. just then i was like lulu garcia navarro is that you <laughs> that's for any morning edition and weekend edition fans out there yeah um again but tim yeah. has her has her celebrities that she but uh <laughs> so okay so Scott simon <laughs> You were, telling me, you were telling me, Anne, about this one show that sounds like a really good kind of example mm-hmm. of this, this uh, type of show that creates the idol. Yeah. So, well, I'll just briefly introduce it. It's a very interesting phenomenon. It happened this year, but this show has been going on for like four or five years now. Mm-hmm. It's called Produce Camp. And, and there's a year always behind the title to indicate which year's competition was mm. it. But this is kind of like a mainline... Chinese um, idol competition program and it switches between boys and girls each year and this year was boys band and it was fascinating this year it happened during February from February to April but it's fascinating this year because they kind of employed a very global approach like Mm -hmm. they have never invited this many international trainees and then before there was really no international trainees that get debuted before but this Mm. year they debuted the first like the top 11 um people out of the 99 i think Mm -hmm. boys that are competing and five out of those 11 are um like non-chinese citizen Mm. basically they're from Mm -hmm. two from the u.s i think and then a couple from japan and then one two from thailand i think Mm -hmm. so it's a very international like global image that they're kind of manufacturing yeah yeah yeah. this was my (laughs) obsession during the first half of this year but i yeah like after i wrote a paper on it i just got over it i was like everything i want to get over i'll probably write a paper on it (laughs) it helps getting over it yeah it's the sixth stage of grief is write a paper about it about it wrote a paper Um, on it and then not obsessed anymore (laughs) mm -hmm. so just to like clarify they these are competition shows or produce camp is a specific competition show and the way it works is they get a bunch of contestants Mm -hmm. who are all going to like they do a like sing dance compete yada yada yeah and then at the end they like eliminate people throughout and Mm, then the ending people are yeah how does but so the goal is to be in like the boy band or girl group it's it's more like so first of all this is a on this is an online show because Mm. online is kind of where it is where it's at right now for mm. streaming platforms in asia in general too but also to answer kim's question it's not 
like at the end that you eliminate it's like a process and it's pretty brutal honestly it's so it's a two and a half month show and they gather mm-hmm. these contestants from all over the world and they put them in a um now this year the location is in Hainan which is the southern island of China and mm-hmm. they put them on a like a basically a, a whole showroom i'm calling it the diegesis because it's <gasps> ah. so cool yeah <laughs> diegesis wait oh yeah it's an enclosed diegesis. what is diegesis diegesis means usually for fiction films mm-hmm. diegesis means the world that the fiction lives in and mm-hmm. it's within that world it's not like usually the mu- music is the easiest example because there's mm-hmm. diegetic music and non-diegetic mm-hmm. music. So background music, that's non-diegetic. Diegetic mm-hmm. music means something kind of the ra- com- come out of the radio on screen mm-hmm. or someone mm-hmm. who's singing. So that's diegetic. Right. And, and then there's you. also like extra diegetic, which are like, yeah, those are interviews that the creator, exactly. like, oh, the director does an interview and yep. says this about the movie. There's... Well, that's not diegetic. That's extra diegetic. Exactly. There's extra diegetic, hyper diegetic, and so many more. It's like, uh, amazing. I love Both. putting a <laughs> prefix in front of the word diegetic. I just <laughs> like, it really gets yeah. me going. But yeah. Thank you for that uh, <laughs> stack episode within a, a larger, larger episode. Uh, please continue. So on the island of diegesis. Yes. Yeah, it is genuinely <laughs> an island this time. It's in the one of the islands in the southern China part, like the mm-hmm. southeast. And they put them there and they are now allowed to have cell phones for the two mm-hmm. months that they're in the camp. And then they uh, yes. basically screen this. They, they just... They film everything they do usually, and then there's a lot of derivative shows uh, outside the main competition. And there's usually for this show specifically, there's three rounds of elimination, and it's pretty brutal. The first one, you eliminate half of the people, and it's all voting by audience essentially. Uh But they're calling the audience, you know, citizen producers to give it kind of like a nicer ring to it citizen producer indeed wow really I leaning into the that. neoliberal yeah really leaning into the oh neoliberal kind of culture and money earning mindset let's fucking commercialize democracy i love, you know, I love that there is um <laughs> <laughs> we air horning neoliberal we hadn't now. done air horns yet today so it's important <laughs> to get a couple in um so that re- it reminds me of uh, Anna McCarthy, a scholar who we read yeah. for a class one time, who she she called, I think it was just reality television in yes. general, the neoliberal theater of suffering, which Indeed. is just one of the best phrases that's ever been mm-hmm. crafted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it had a good mouthfeel. It's wonderful mouthfeel. I know, it's a mouthful of goodness, like theory goodness. <laughs> But honestly, I, I think this is a theater, you know, like mm-hmm. it's gen- they're genuinely mm-hmm. putting them on stage, although mm-hmm. the stage is really where they live. They all mm-hmm. live together. These nights. All the world's a stage. Uh-huh. Hashtag wow. Shakespeare. Yes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it, it's it's fascinating how much time these contestants, but also the fans devote just into watching and producing like the contestants are just producing their image. I mean, mm-hmm. they their everyday life 24-7 are being recorded, essentially. And then the fans are just, you know, they pay money to get them votes. And then they, like, comes wake up in the morning to get, like, people voting for them. And they literally buy 
gifts for these like contestants is interesting yeah wait so how does the how does that that work how do you like pay money for for the voting ah yes so like I mean it's supposedly be a very democratic process and like the votes are like two per person usually per day that you can vote to 11 people I think so you can vote 11 times and you can vote uh, every time you vote you can give two votes to like one single contestant however that's that's the standard that's like as long as you go on that website or that platform you can vote like that that's fine Mm -hmm. but on on the on the outside of that like they sell things like there Mm. is sponsor for the show right so Mm -hmm. that's where they get their money for production and get their money for the advertisement uh, the, there is usually a sole sponsor for each of these seasons this year mm-hmm. it was uh it was a, it's kind of like a drink company so like soft drink company that sells like who is by the way now sponsoring our podcast <laughs> soft I drink wish. company drink soft power <laughs> oh that's oh uh, i love that's it. some foreshadowing right there <laughs> but but no it's uh it's it's a drink company that sells soft drinks and they sponsor the show and they also you know their product is definitely their sales rate is gonna go up during the show's time Mm -hmm. and the fans can get actual voting power or actual votes by buying their drinks and usually the there's a qr code like that's Mm. hidden hidden inside the, Mm -hmm. the bottle and they can scan it and get more vote for their favorite trainee essentially so you're mm-hmm. buying the vote essentially yeah you know the neoliberal theater of suffering <laughs> it's interesting like i i'm thinking about other shows where like i think um love island is another show where like they during its run i haven't ever watched it so it might be entirely wrong about this maybe i shouldn't even bring this up as a point but like i think they're basically filming everything all the time for like and it comes out every single day when it is running and but like part of that is the i mean so you're you're witnessing the drama between the people and like kind of laughing at the super cringy moments and when they say dumb things but is this so is this kind of like that or is it more like are they is it more like um intense it, like produced is it more manufactured ah. or are they like is it are you kind of there for like the interpersonal drama and you get to like watch people <laughs> like say that oh she's not here for the right reasons i don't know if they say that but i'm, I'm only applying my bachelor uh no i love it i'm loving it keep channel- channeling those those energies yeah. Um, yeah. but it's it's similar but I would say it's even more intense like Mm -hmm. it's similar in terms of in terms of the drama are always the one that you know the audience talk about like it's 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 like it goes viral on the internet on like Mm -hmm. the Chinese version of Twitter Weibo Mm -hmm. and like you know the drama go do that however it's interesting because they're really the show this year is really trying to sell this kind of globalized image of Mm. the contestants contesting in China and they're kind of like using this as a platform to both introduce the show to more Asian countries mostly Asian countries I would say because uh, if you check out uh, Tencent is the Mm -hmm. company that produces this and Tencent Video which they call VTV uh, for the global audience if Mm. you check out their website the international website it has nine languages on it. Like yeah. you can switch between nine different languages. Most of them are East Asian, South Asian languages. Mm-hmm. And even the subtitles for many of the show on it has at least six to eight languages just yeah. attached to it. 
I I went there. It's uh it's really interesting because also like the episodes are all like two hours, they two are. and a half hours long. And there's That's so the shorter many ones. Of... It's usually yeah. four, three to four hours. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like gonna say, like, how do you have that much time? Not you, but like how does one have that much time to watch it? And then I remembered that I do watch Critical Role every week and all of its ancillary content. So like we all have our thing. Um but yeah, so you're talking about this like globalized, this global quality to the show. Yeah and the like the way that it's kind of um kind of working to like become this like yeah this global is it just about like the 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 show itself that's trying to be global or is it I don't know is it connected to is it I see your point no like I see I see where you're going with (laughs) because Kim already mentioned it it's self-power right it's self-power diplomacy and and politics yeah I I we like do I can do a geopolitical thing every now and then a geopolitical segue um (laughs) can we yeah can we like sort of explain what soft power is what that means yeah definitely i mean well soft power basically is you know the if there's any better examples than cool japan or like the korean k-pop bands uh, Mm. those are kind of the soft power of a nation usually and Mm. then they travel internationally the image they're not like localized anymore they are facing a global audience and they Mm. get recognized by a global audience and those soft power also carries political power as well like it it is like introducing one culture to another Mm -hmm. it definitely has I will say it has it's a kind of like a double-sided coin it has its positive side and Mm -hmm. also has the kind of nefarious trying to sell the political image or sell manufacturing a certain slash like propaganda to somewhere mm-hmm. but it's it's always like that like a, a mm-hmm. nation's soft power is definitely something that's very important and very effective it's if yeah. more effective than like a lot of hard diplomacy honestly yeah I mean yeah. if anyone is doubting this listening to the show think about if you are like your sort of standard American, like, like me or like baby Kim from the past, um, (laughs) you know, the amount of times that South Korea enters the conversation, just like the sort of like colloquial brain space of your average American citizen up until like, there are different waves of that right so like Mm -hmm. Gangnam Style came out and we in like whatever Mm. year that was and everyone Mm -hmm. was like oh this is a culture that okay (laughs) cool and then nothing happened for a little bit and we all kind of like low-key forgot about South Korea Mm. and then like South Korean bands have like k-pop has actively like introduced the notion of like yeah a culture that just like is existing contemporaneously with American culture yeah yeah I yeah. mean there are the world. many yeah. yeah that's the world essentially I mean yeah there are cultures existing contemporaries with, with yeah but like only if we can see them on television and if they are able to like replicate certain <laughs> American pop standards we don't have great and... object permanence in this country you know <laughs> yeah. once we don't There's... see it it's like <laughs> I think there's a really, really interesting conversation to be had, not today and not right now, but Mm -hmm. about the cultural interchange between like African-American culture and East Asian culture, Mm. Um, because there have been, there are like multiple moments of accusations of um, 
Wow, I literally forgot the word. Imagine cultural appropriation. Ah, yeah. Uh, imagine yeah. forgetting cultural appropriation. <laughs> I lived in a utopia for like just one second. <laughs> but no, there's accusations of cultural appropriation, but mm-hmm. also like a very intense, like mutual cultural sharing and influence mm-hmm. across these two, like media landscapes Mm -hmm. that's super interesting Mm -hmm. and at times very problematic Mm -hmm. and very cool and (laughs) talk about it sometimes yeah that sounds like a really cool conversation one day season four season four Um, but uh yeah yeah. i think when i think about soft soft power power. i think a lot about like like the cold war and like the cultural cold war especially like one of my favorite examples of this um to use to continue using east asia as an example is uh the first asian film festival was um held in tokyo uh in like the 56 something like that and it was uh like like uh quietly very quietly funded by something called the asia foundation Mm. which itself was very very quietly funded by the u.s information agency which was like the overseas propaganda arm of the of the I don't know if it's of the U.S. right so it's like this very this very quiet chain of influence that was like the entire time the U.S. because because of course like this was happening with like they they were trying to bring countries in that they were worried about um uh were, were worried about like being taken under the sway of like the communists yeah. yeah and uh so there was a whole lot of tension there and of course like it being set in Tokyo where like uh you know a of a country that had recently tried to colonize a lot of the Mm. area like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like tension there but like definitely um but yeah it's just like the way that countries know that uh sending your culture elsewhere is really really important to expanding your your influence um yeah that's another great that also speaks to a lot of why like k-pop sounds the way that it does because you mean I mean, it's replicating a lot of like standard American, which this sort of goes back to what I was talking about before, like mm. African-American musical styles, right? Mm-hmm. which have a massive influence on American music, which then yeah. American music has a massive influence globally. But like, there's a reason why the sound that we're hearing coming back and that like places these groups on like a very powerful position on the world stage is in some ways speaking back to an American sensibility while also Mm. bringing with it a cultural specificity but like (laughs) if it was all cultural specificity I doubt and this is more me just being like yeah I suck I suck a good amount you know like I don't think I would be like really there for k-pop if it wasn't Mm. speaking to me in a musical language that I'm familiar with well, that, that reminds me of the, like, Kurosawa as kind of one of our most, the, the, the Japanese director, the post-war Japanese director that we're, like, the most familiar with, familiar with in, in America. Not Ozu? Right. So, like, <laughs> there have been, I, th- I think that there was kind of a occasional criticism of, like, him as, like, he's pandering to Americans because he has mm-hmm. a, he, like, I mean, he does have, like, some aesthetic influences from the Western film. And he was like, fuck off. It's, I'm making movies that like my, <laughs> the teenagers in my country want to see. This is like, these are Japanese films. But like mm-hmm. part of the the people who were like, he, there was this juxtaposition between him and, and Ozu and Mitsuguchi who were um, like other, yeah. like two other really big mm-hmm. Japanese directors in the post-war era. And there's, I remember some like, 
some at some festival some like asshole of the french new wave was like i really prefer mizuguchi he um he's he's a he's the real he's making the real japanese films not kurosawa mm. it's like mm. who the fuck are you <laughs> what is like what are you deciding what's that's, japanese and what's that's not? epitomizing orientalism in like one sentence yeah i love it, was, it. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Be like, I love it, but I hate it. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah. So okay, we're getting a little away from it, but because I think that this, the the way that uh, this show is doing it is is really interesting because, um, yeah, like I, the way that it's specifically focusing on kind of like the regional influence yeah. um, is yeah. just really, mm-hmm. really interesting, especially because this is this is like a a kind of this genre of like idol show it's with Asia basically. yeah it's very popular you said I think you said that they were like there many. are iterations in other countries as well there are many actually the model I would say the model comes from Japan like the 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 idol competition program started I think earliest in Japan and then mm. Korea and then China like China probably is the last one last what one, one of the last like the big countries who does like who who can sustain an idol industry because it does Mm. require a shit ton of money and a lot of fan base Mm. so but china is kind of like the last on to hop on this train but it's Mm -hmm. profitable and also like you know it's it's interesting to sell those images also to like you know south asia and then like some Mm. like singapore there are Mm -hmm. a lot of contestants from singapore last time and then this time there are a couple from thailand and then Mm -hmm. also from malaysia so this kind of like paint pan asia globalized like utopia image mm-hmm. is trying to paint is mm. it's mm. profitable so it seems like there's kind of an interesting like confluence of like the like uh sort of like china as a as a regional hegemon um mm-hmm. and yes. uh one of my favorite <laughs> the only term that i took from my uh political science major in undergrad uh <laughs> but china is a regional hegemon and then the the stars themselves as like global personalities exactly um yeah. who 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 are the ones who like uh cr- like build the relationship with the fans mm-hmm. they are the face exactly. for the fans to connect with and exactly. then there's the brand whether that's uh tencent or the, the 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 soft drink company or like whatever whatever like is the so there's these kind of like three different three different actors who don't necessarily have to Absolutely. go together um but like but in this do. case are kind of like yeah. being like it's a like, chimera if you will yeah <laughs> ah. but we're just using terms we studied in class but it's a it's yeah. a mesh it's a mesh of um very different perspective but mm-hmm. the same goal honestly of earning money Mm-hmm. just as the liberal <laughs> neoliberal scheme That's the, the goal yeah but also a very good reminder um from both of you for me that like oh yeah there's regional influence matters as well like these groups are not simply always being like i wonder what america thinks about us <laughs> like are they thinking about us do you think i should text me? them <laughs> i was just thinking about you were you thinking about me <laughs> like no there's actually like there's there's relationships and political dynamics that need to be absolutely between those countries as well yeah and because regional honestly usually is much easier to Mm. gain Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. than a western like following basically and honestly like 
they were already earning so much and then they they just started basically to expand their brand into like the pan-asia kind of like phenomenon and that's super interesting because there's kind of like a kind of interesting intersection of images of you know they invite these international trainees who have some of them have a little bit of a following in their own country Mm. where they came from and then they they put them into this uh, show and like give them these diegesis for them to perform and then they sell this image back to the country to the people that already follows these uh, trainees uh-huh. but also to people who are like oh uh, this sounds like interesting and some of the trainees on it is from my own country so I'm gonna check it out so it's a reciprocal mm. kind of relationship going on there and like mm-hmm. it's effective honestly it's mm-hmm. hugely effective of how many views this show get like it gets 400 million per episode all, like on mainland china yeah. alone wow so. the teenier so tinier version of that is mm-hmm. uh when tess ann chin was on the voice and she mm-hmm. is a jamaican singer and uh i received clips from that show every week from my father <laughs> <laughs> it was like this is our this is our person. She's on the voice. <laughs> Go Tessa and Chin. I was like, yeah. okay, I don't watch that, but thanks, Dad. <laughs> That's it's just so interesting that like that kind of effect because the the whole like building regional regional influence is like it is a big kind of tenet of the the if I may again get it into my the I, where I pretend I know about down. international relations the the school of realism which is like I think in international relations is like yeah. it's all about um kind of relative power dynamics is mm-hmm. the uh, uh in the in the kind of like the anarchy of the world stage and so a big part of that is like yeah building regional hegemony and like back in whenever oh god 1787 fuck whatever america 17, somewhere around there. the revolutionary war uh, there was the um well okay there was uh, early early people george washington yeah. and james yeah. Monroe were saying like mm. we need to like we need to not get involved in whatever shit europe is up to we need to like build influence in our own area and like stay out of anybody else's shit and that's how we'll uh that's how we'll grow and how we'll become powerful and if they did that back then through you know aggressive outward expansion colonialism mm. uh genocide mm. and like all of the things that we know america <laughs> did that makes it evil and but like in this i kind think of, i like pop stars better right know. in this kind of in this modern era it's like well like yeah. instead of that we're kind of we're sending we're focusing on building a like a regional influence Diplomatic, through yeah, yeah so through the soft power that's i yeah. guess i'm just reiterating what soft power is again no but i think it's, <laughs> that's, it's really that's exactly what it is like honestly. this is this is how kind of this is how it works in the the, the neoliberal world is, it I does guess, that's the, yeah and the post-cold war kind mm-hmm. of world where you know everything is nuclear and nothing really can happen because we're all gonna kill each other someday. Oh! But, <laughs> nuclear peace don't get me started on nuclear peace i know i, I know i, Laura, I, I know lauren really wants <laughs> um but yeah in in the modern era in today's society as i would have said in the high school paper it's all <laughs> about like kind of the brand and yeah. expanding the brand whether it's the country's brand or the person's brand yeah, it's a one show's brand, but also like a culture's brand. Yeah. But that reminds me because I really wanted to bring this quote uh-huh, from uh, Sarah Benet Weiser, mm. who is a great author. And yeah. she wrote, 
in this book called Authentic TM, The Politics of Ambivalence in a Brand Culture. We'll throw that in the link. But she writes about brand and she says, far more than an economic strategy of capitalism, brands are the cultural spaces in which individuals feel safe, secure, relevant, and authentic. I am not thinking through what it means that authenticity itself is a brand and that authentic spaces are branded. So what a sad, just makes it kind of sad. Like God, my life really is just so shallow, isn't it? (laughs) But But it also adds to like why we care so much about celebrities. Yeah. Because there's, yeah, both in like the celebrities that we like and want to follow, like how I I feel so good about the photo spread of uh, Taika Waititi and Rita yes. Ora and um, <laughs> Tessa Thompson yes. hanging out on yes. the balcony after they definitely had a threesome. And that like as, as much joy as that brings to me in feeling like I care about this kind of celebrity gossip, which makes me this kind of person and it feels really good. I think it also works negatively too, right? Exactly. Where like that's why the great Chris debate of the internet, like all mm. the Hollywood Chris's, um, which maybe one day the listeners will hear the episode we did on that. Um, yeah, indeed. One yeah. day, um, but like in within that debate, there's a really intense like anti Chris Pratt strain, <laughs> which is fair because he is the worst Chris, and like that's yes, fine. Yes, uh, I have a. Pratt Apologia. I I will do it anytime. He's basically as bad as most white men are and like whatever. <laughs> but like because celebrity branding has so much to do with how we feel about ourselves, mm. people really have to reject him or feel very strongly that mm, they have to reject him yes. because his brand is corrupted by his real life and his yeah. real values and his political and religious and, and mm-hmm. social values or at least yeah. what people are able to glean from them so what yeah. a lot of like internet liberals glean is like oh if I associate I love Marvel and I love Guardians of the Galaxy but if I associate myself with this Chris's brand then that corrupts my sense mm-hmm. of self yeah mm. that's not yeah. the real me they will yeah. say it's like how I always, whenever a celebrity is from Wisconsin, I have to point out that they're from Wisconsin because I'm from Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin. But then Mark Ruffalo, who's from Kenosha, Wisconsin, was in the Imagine video. And it's like, I literally don't know what to do here because you are <laughs> so embarrassing to me now. <laughs> yeah. That was, I just feel like Kim always has such a beautiful wrap up at the end. Kim is Kim is wrap up queen. Oh my goodness. You're pulling all those parts together into a nice little a nice little bow. It's so nice of you to yeah. say that cuz I'm really rather hungover right now and I don't feel like <laughs> the queen of anything. So, thank you. <laughs> Media Literate is a collaborative podcast produced by Colton Elsie, Sebastian Wurzreiner, Laura Broman, Kim Henry, Julia Elizabeth Evans, and Julia Rose Camus. This episode was edited by Anne Jean. Our theme music is Soft Feeling by Chill, and our logo was created by Julia Camus.